Hi, and welcome to the Dr. Doom podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Doom. Forgive the squeaky chair. Um, yeah, today I wanted to talk about a friend of mine named uh, Jamie, who uh, was this uh, big guy I've talked about before, uh, who went to my med school and we were in the same class. Jamie was, uh, oh, he had this contagious laugh, very much like a John Candy kind of laugh. And uh, my the, the first day of medical school, so... There were two people that had ter- tremendously bad luck, myself and Jamie. I, uh, for example, tried to grow a beard one time and somehow got my watch bracelet tangled in the beard so much that I couldn't even slip a pair of scissors in to cut my beard. I was worried I was going to cut my skin and uh, I had to ask for help from a friend <laughs> and I had to shave all the way around the watch and then... Um, use my friend was able to uh slide a pair of nail scissors in and cut the beard hairs that were entangled in my watch um that was the end of my beard days for about a decade and i've grown one back now uh, mostly just a mustache with some scruff around the face but uh yeah so stuff like that was always happening to jamie and i but the best the best one i remember goes back to the first day of medical school classes we were all very nervous um no one knew really what to expect. The internet was, it existed, but it was sort of in its infancy. Uh, we were still all on dial up internet and, um, your frame of reference for what medical school was, was old movies like flatliners, you know, like you could, (laughs) you could sort of guess what med school was going to be like. You knew the first two years were going to be classes, but you didn't know how hard it was going to be, how overwhelmed you were going to be. All you knew was that you were walking into something that was going to be difficult and require a lot of work. So we were all pretty nervous on that first day and everybody has their nervous tics. My leg bounces when I'm nervous. And, uh, and you know, people were, people were visibly nervous. They were, you know, everyone was paying really close attention. And our first day, a lot of the class classwork was of course, anatomy. So, um, you know, we were, uh, focusing on what they were talking about anatomically and, uh, writing notes and stuff. And Jamie was sitting in the front of the class and he was, you know, nervously chewing on the end of his pen and taking more notes and then chewing on the end of his pen and then taking more notes. And, uh, uh, about, I don't know, two hours into the day, he was taking notes and he said, uh, he was sitting right in front of me and like, he reached up and felt his face and then he looked at his hand and he said, oh shit. And he stood up and turned around to go out and he had chewed through the ink thing on the pen and it had broken in his mouth and dribbled ink all down his chin and all over his dress shirt because we we didn't know what we were supposed to wear. We didn't know if there was a dress code. So we all wore dress, cl- dress clothes on the first day. And Jamie had black ink all over his face and the left side of his shirt. And that was like our first intro to Jamie. Um, he was, uh, he was a super guy. Um, and he was the most down to earth person I've met. He was from a little town in New Brunswick. I think it was called Chipman or Minto. They're kind of like two sides of the same town. You know what I mean? But, uh, he just had this wonderful sense of humor. Uh, he, he was the first one to laugh at himself when things like that happened. One day, um, we were studying for an exam and, uh, 
And it was like everybody stayed in the hospital late to study because we all had these apartments that were, mine was a basement apartment. I lived under this family with little kids and it was loud. It was a, uh, I gotta just turn off my phone here. It was a loud place to, uh, to live. So it was a little bit tough with um, studying and stuff because the kids would be running around until bedtime upstairs. And they would ask me to go out and shovel the driveway and stuff if I was home. So I just stayed at the school, usually till about midnight. And uh, again, sorry for the revolting mouth noises. I can't help it. <laughs> I can't help it. Um, but uh, but I was, I was studying in the cafeteria anyway with Jamie. And it was probably getting around supper time. And we got up and uh, went to get dinner in the cafeteria. And Jamie, like me, struggled a bit with his weight. So he was always like we always tried to eat whatever the healthiest thing was in the cafeteria, but it was never that healthy. So like the special would be like a soup and a bun or whatever, but you had to serve your own soup. And we got in line uh, for the soup and there was myself and then no, uh, yeah, myself, then Jamie, then this lady was behind Jamie and I was waiting for him. So I, I filled up my soup and he was filling up his soup and the lady behind him was like super impatient. She crossed her arms. She was like, <sighs> like it was like couldn't get the soup out of the bottom and then the lid slammed closed she's making those big like she'd sigh so hard it'd blow you over kind of sigh and she was like oh, this is taking forever she said to herself and finally she went oh, and Jamie spilled soup all over his hand hot soup and he turned around and he said what the hell is your fucking problem <laughs> it just snapped <laughs> she took off I don't know what the story was she was probably there with some patient but she was uh, the most impatient person I'd ever seen and I just cracked up in the middle of the cafeteria and then he laughed about it after too I think at first he was worried security was going to come get him but uh, they let him be anyway Jamie was a great guy he uh, when the rest of us took um you know, I was living fully selfishly. Like if I had spare time, I was renting a movie, going to subway and making a night of it. <laughs> like I was, I, I had no time for other stuff, but when Jamie had spare time, he joined uh, big brothers, big sisters, uh, and took on a young guy with like, who didn't have a dad. Um, and he would take him out like bowling and take him to movies. And it was just a super guy. Um, really, really good guy. He ended up, uh, he was in the military and he spent some time, I believe overseas. Uh, he ended up being a family doctor and, uh, I got a call, um, oh, I would say three or four years ago. No, probably more than that. God, five or six years ago. Now I got a call that, um, I, I really regret, um, that I got. And it was that, uh, Jamie had, uh, gotten throat cancer and had died. Um, Anyway, not a real funny story, but uh, Jamie was a great guy. So if anyone, anyone who knew him would remember him very fondly. And uh, I don't know if he was dealing with cancer the whole time we were there or not. He was a young guy. He was, he was probably, I don't think he would have made it to 40 um, when he passed away. But uh, just, a, just a person who was absolutely full of life and, uh, and somebody I'll always respect and, uh, and look up to. Somebody who gave, uh, gave a lot more than he got and... Uh, I'm not like that. I'm much more selfish, but at least it gives us something to aim for. Anyway, that's just a sort of nice memory of Jamie.
the story is a uh, somewhat recent story that both makes me proud and ashamed. And um, basically, to set this up, uh, my brother and his family are home from Australia. And uh, Dan has two little kids. When I say little, they're actually sort of mid-aged kids. <laughs> so uh, his daughter is 11 and his son is um, turning nine. And uh, the son is um, just like exactly like Dan. He's uh, over-energized um, and he's very strong and he's very big for his age. Um, so they came home from Australia and of course with COVID and everything, everything's been shut down for two and a half years. Uh, and this is the first chance they've had to come to Canada. So everybody, cousins, family members, everybody wanted to congregate and see these guys. So my cousins all live about an hour and a half away. They all came and mom had a party for everyone. And I, I don't know if it was mom's idea or uh, Dan's wife's idea, but they decided that they would have uh, water balloons at the party. You know, it's summer, it's Canada, it's warm. It's uh, time to celebrate. Let's have a water balloon fight. But I, I had one look at some of the cousins have kids with them and some of the kids are like three and four years old and little and fragile. And I look at Dan's son and I think, He's not going to pull any punches. He's going to whip those fucking water balloons at uh, full force at these children. <laughs> and this is going to end in tears. So they made all the water balloons. They use that thing where they're all kind of attached to one thing that you screw into the hose. And then you turn on the hose and the balloons just drop into a bucket. Now, minor complaint here. I'm not, I'm not Captain Planet. I don't really give a huge amount of shit about pollution and stuff. But those fucking water balloons leave latex and rubber everywhere. I, is it decomposable? Maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe it's compostable. Um, but uh, decomposable isn't the word. Um, but I'm not sure. I, I just don't know. Anyway, um, needless to say, uh, I, I, I decided I was going to intervene. I didn't want the kids to not have their water balloon fight. But I, I said they need a safer target to aim for. That target was me. I said, all right, guys, why doesn't everybody throw their water balloons at me? And uh, I'll be the target, and that way nobody gets hurt. And the first one uh, that uh, Dan's son threw clipped me in the side of the head so hard that my ears were ringing. And it didn't break. It just, like, snapped my head to the side. <laughs> it could have been a softball. It was, uh, it was pretty painful. Then I got a couple in the back from point blank range that left welts on my back. Um, my son also participated in this and was was no better, it should be said. I took one in the bridge of the nose that I was sure broke my nose and uh, one on my eye. And uh, my eye hurts <laughs> still two weeks later uh, where, where it hit against my orbital ridge. Anyway, um, afterwards... I kind of, everybody laughed. Thanks for being a good sport. You know, and I was just thinking, oh, thank God they didn't wing the three-year-old cousin's kids, you know, and, and send some kid into a crying, uh, you know, get some kid really upset. Uh, but I started getting a little bit dizzy almost immediately afterwards. And now two weeks later, I'm pretty sure that I got a concussion from that first water balloon that got me right square in the head and didn't break. <laughs> but 
wouldn't be my first concussion. Um, the the best concussion I have. So I'm tall. I'm six foot two. I'm almost six foot three, I think. But um, it doesn't. I'm, I'm like bragging about my height. I'm an old man and I'm fat. But uh, you know, I'm a tall guy, and uh, so I always bang my head on things, especially if I wear a ball cap and I can't see over the brim. I'm very likely to bang my head on the tailgate of an SUV. It seems to be the exact height that I smack my head on it every time. Um, but, uh, but my best concussion story happened, uh, when I was in high school, I, we, we used to have friends over and, um, you know, I was an excitable kid and we had run of the place. Like my parents worked and so we'd be home alone, um, pretty much running the house in the summer. And, um, we had a little refrigerator down in the basement there where we kept like popsicles and freezies and stuff. And, uh, and I had these, uh, girls over and, uh, I wanted to impress them. I, I kind of had a crush on, well, I had a crush on both of them. I dated both of them, not at the same time. Um, but this was before we had dated. And, uh, and I said, well, I think what I'll do, I'll, guys, I've got popsicles downstairs. I'll run down and grab them. They're like, yeah, awesome. So I was in like a rush. I was like, let's impress the girls. I ran down the stairs, not thinking about it. There's an overhang over the stairs in, uh, and my brother's basement was in the downstairs part. Like his, he lived in the downstairs part of our house. So as I was running, I didn't realize like my head is six inches higher than it normally would be. And I hit myself in the forehead, just, just above the ridge of my eyes, like right at eyebrow level. I hit myself so hard that I knocked myself unconscious and I woke up at the bottom of the stairs. And when I woke up, I looked up and there was plaster still fluttering down from where I'd hit the, uh, hit the, uh, overhang of the stairs. And, uh, and there was a crack, like I, I went to examine it. There was a crack in the drywall and the crack extended the whole way around the, around the stairs, out into the basement, all the way through my brother's apartment into his bedroom. It was maybe 40 feet long. So I must've hit that thing with the momentum of a goddamn freight train. Anyway, uh, yeah, those are my, uh, two concussion stories. And, uh, yeah, try not to get one, I guess would be my doctorly advice. All right, one little uh, medical mystery story for you. Um, so back when I was an intern, I was doing a surgery uh, uh, rotation in my internship, general surgery. We had a patient come in and um, they had abdominal pain and uh, we did the CT scan. This is why I'm a radiologist. Nobody goes through without getting imaging anymore. It would be like almost medical negligence to try and operate on somebody without it, without imaging that shows you what the diagnosis is. Um, but uh, anyway, when we did the CT scan, um, we went and reviewed it with the radiologist and they pointed out the stomach was really inflamed looking. And there was a little, I don't know, a little abscess on the outside wall of the stomach. And they wondered if there had been a gastric perforation where the stomach, like a duodenal or a gastric ulcer that had perforated into the uh, momentum, essentially into the mesentery. And that was now an infected abscess. 
And at that time, that was before the days of um, intervention, like percutaneous CT guided intervention that, that, that didn't exist yet at that time. So uh, it was one of those rare instances where we still did exploratory surgery to find out what was wrong. So we brought this guy, he was a big fella. He was like, uh, he was probably 300 pounds. We brought him into the operating room and uh, did the exploratory laparotomy. And, you know, when I say we did, I held a retractor while they did. As a medical student, much of your job involves holding a retractor. And everybody in the room immediately forgets about you because realistically, the retractor can be held by a non, you know, by an inorganic frame that sits over the patient. So um, you're basically doing the job of a frame. But the but the problem is holding the retractor is fucking hard work. Like this is not part of the story, but sometimes you're trying to move the retractor and you're trying to anticipate where the surgeon's going to want to want to look and what part they need exposed. And they get mad if you're slow to do exactly what they want without telling you. It's like they want you to anticipate what they're doing. But some surgeries you're seeing for the first time and you have no idea what they want you to do. You don't even know the anatomy you're looking at. So you just try your goddamn best and uh, you sweat profusely and you get dehydrated. And that's part of medical school. So if you're just joining medical school, look forward to that. It's quite a joy. Anyway, um, yeah, I was the retractor holder for this thing. And, and, and luckily, I, I could see what we were doing. It was a big retractor, but he was a big guy. But uh, I, I had a good exposure and I could see what was going on. And we were kind of moving tissues and moving small bowel and getting to the uh, greater curvature of the stomach. And then when you got there, uh, you could see this all inflamed crap, all kind of there was bowel stuck to the stomach. I thought, God, is it a tumor? What is this? And it was, it was the abscess. So the surgeon made a little incision in it and then started draining it. And, uh, and then he said, what is this? This feels really weird. I was holding the suction by it so that the pus wouldn't all go out into the abdominal cavity. He said, feel this. And I put my finger down and I felt this like, felt like a tooth inside. And I thought, did he swallow his tooth? And it went through an ulcer. What is this? And, uh, and so he kind of peeled back this layer of the wall of the abscess and there was this sharp little piece of wood sticking out through the wall of the stomach and he grabbed it and he pulled it and it just kept getting longer and longer and longer. And then it came out and it had a little plastic swizzle on the top. The guy had eaten a swizzle stick from a club sandwich and it had perforated his stomach. Well, there's, there's a medical school story for you. It was a weird one. Apparently it happens. It's, it's not that uncommon. I, other people apparently have had the same experience and I could see how it happens when you're hungry enough. I could, I could see if the swizzle stick was mostly buried, how you could accidentally eat it. I once ate a piece of uh, chicken with a bone in it from Subway and it got stuck sideways in my esophagus and I passed out while I was fly fishing and fell face first in the muck. Um, so yeah, these things happen. Uh, especially to us big eaters. So uh, if that story was about you or someone you know, or or it's happened to someone you know, try not to judge them too harshly. Apparently it's not that uncommon, but it was pretty weird seeing it for the first time. Anyway, that's about it. Um, you guys can uh, email me your stories or uh, touch base. 
you know, curse me out, whatever you like at uh, one foot in the grave podcast at gmail.com. In the meantime, stay healthy, stay classy. We'll see you later.